Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts and stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. And now, here is your host, DJ Bob. A wonderful kind of day indeed. We are joined by the voice actor of Buster Baxter from Arthur. Yes, I get to say that. Daniel Brochu is here talking with us about his favorite Buster moments, Arthur's legacy, diversity and inclusion, and a ton of other wonderful topics. Let's get into the conversation. To kick this off, would you mind introducing yourself and sort of give a little elevator pitch to our audience of who you are and what you've done? Okay. Uh, hello, my name is Daniel Brochu. I'm a voice actor from Montreal, Quebec. Uh, I've done many, I've worked on many projects, probably most famously Arthur. I am the voice of Buster Baxter and have been since the beginning of time, it feels like. Um, but since 1993, I've been doing the voice of Buster Baxter. So from season one to season 25 and all its offshoots and uh, supplementaries. And uh, I am still living and working in Montreal as a voice actor. I also do a lot of uh, theater and voice dubbing and radio and um yeah, that's it. So, what is something you wish people knew about you? Um, I wish. Uh, well, I'm a huge. I'm an avid reader. I'm a huge sci-fi fantasy uh, buff. Just like Buster. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between uh, Buster Baxter and myself. Um. I, I, I've been saying that over the years, like I, I sometimes think that the writers had little cameras or recording devices in my house because I'd show up to work and I'd read a script and I'd be, I'd be like, how, how did you know this is my life? Um, but yeah, so I, I'm from a single parent family, like, like Buster. I have asthma, uh, kind of like Buster did. And uh, I, I am a huge science fiction um, and fantasy buff. So, uh, yeah, so something I, you know, I, I, I love, I love when people know that I'm i I'm a huge reader of science fiction and, um, what else that I do lots of theater in and around Montreal. I'm also a theater actor, not just a voice actor. And, um, yeah, it'd be nice for people to know. And that's wonderful for me to know because you've done so much over the years, but Arthur is its own thing yeah it's a big 
responsibility to keep it going for that long. So, when, when you got the part, was it something that you knew was going to last just a few seasons? Nobody expected this. Yeah, I, I don't think any of us expected this. I mean, I remember, I remember landing the role and not even thinking I was going to keep the job because uh, in the first few recording sessions in the first season, I, I felt like my voice wasn't fitting properly because all the, all the characters were like eight-year-olds, you know, grade, I think they were in grade three or something. Three, yeah. And we had a lot of, we had a lot of uh, kids in the, like Michael Yarmish, when he started, he was, I think, 12, 12 years old. So there was only a few adults who were doing kids' voices, and I was one of the adults doing kids' voices, and I, I had to keep on pushing my voice higher and higher and higher. And obviously, the directors and the producers were still trying to figure it out for, you know, sound-wise and how it matched with the other voices. And so I remember saying, like, jokingly in studio, at the beginning of sessions, I'd be like, as soon as the director would give me a direction and then turn off the microphone, I'd turn to my, my coworkers and go, that's it, I'm done. Like, I, I think I'm getting fired. Like, the next thing, the next thing they're going to say to me is, sorry, Danny, it's not working out. We got to let you go. <laughs> you thought Greg was going to kick you out, huh? <laughs> yeah, I thought the team was just going to decide that they made a big mistake <laughs> and they were going to send me home. But, uh, but yeah, so and I and and even after the first season, I think we recorded the first season, and then when it when it appeared on TV, uh, I was like, well, how how long can it last? You know, it's 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 got a lifespan of maybe. A I few believe there was two years between record and airing, right? Yeah, exactly, because they had to draw it all and they had to put yeah. it all together. And so you know, as soon as it hit TV, it became its it had its own momentum. It became its own juggernaut. And um, and everything kind of happened from there. But yeah, it wasn't until it, it really landed on TV and in its uh, maybe second season that we discovered that yeah, this this is a this is a really uh, exceptional job in a way because it was it was being received by people and uh, it was it was bigger than we all anticipated and especially especially the actors because. You know, back then we were just, and still to this day, we all just kind of work by contract to contract, right? You don't, you don't know what you're going to work on that's going to, it's going to turn into something that's going to have any longevity, and so you just kind of work on something and you, and you kind of throw it away, you know, and then you go on to something else and you go on to something else, and so Arthur just kept on coming back, and after like four or five seasons, you're like, wow, okay, this is this is nice, you know, and the writing just kept on getting better and better, so I was always, I was always confident that the uh that it was going to be well received because when i was reading the scripts i was i was literally laughing out loud you know and they were very touching and heartwarming scripts and so i was like as soon as, as if if the writing keeps up at this caliber there's no way we don't have a hit on our hands and uh, absolutely yeah. and the the show means a lot to me because it's one of the main themes is diversity and inclusion. Yeah. And I myself am a wheelchair user with cerebral palsy. And just seeing everybody accept each other, mm -hmm. but not 
in this saccharine way. It meant a lot to me. Yeah, I, and I think that's one of the main reasons for its longevity is because it just really tapped into that, you know, that we should all accept each other and we should all be open to uh, different ideas and different opinions and, the, and different ways that people look and sound. And it was, it was pretty groundbreaking, you know? Uh, so what are some of your favorite Buster moments? Um, I have a lot. I mean, over the years, you know, uh, some of the scripts really touched me, um, made me laugh. I always, I, I loved, I loved being kind of present for Buster's whole arc, you know, like his whole development. But I, I would say, I was thinking about this before, I, I would say the, the, the episodes and the moments that I think touched me the most were the ones that were, um, the most hard hitting, you know, the ones, the ones that push the envelope regarding diversity and um, and people being unique. Like, you know, I remember uh, when they when the show was introducing um, mental illness and when it was introduced, when it introduced same sex marriage, like two seasons ago when when Mr. Rapper got married um, to his partner, I was just I was so I was so proud of the show in moments like that, you know, where they they're kind of pushing the envelope as far as cartoons and what children should watch, teaching them about, you know, acceptance and diversity, like you were saying. And I, I think that episode in particular, the one where uh, Mr. Rapper gets married to his partner, Patrick, um, was, was so, uh, like, I was so proud. I was so proud to record that episode and know that that's the direction that PBS and WGBH was taking in, in developing the show. You know, so I think it was the episodes that were, Everyone was just uh, accepting of something new, you know, and that, that's what I'm, I'm most proud of, actually, that, that the show was, wasn't afraid to, um, to be itself. You know, it, it, it touted itself on, on, on being a show about diversity and uh, multiculturalism and all that. And it really, it really fulfilled its own prophecy. You know, it really, it really did it well. What amazes me about that episode the Mr. Rapper and getting married episode is not even a decade prior. Buster's spinoff show was getting scrutinized for similar things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's the best that's the best irony right there. I mean, the uh, yeah, our show we had an episode in Postcards from Buster, which was yeah. the spinoff. Um, that dealt with same-sex marriage and at the time it was during the Bush administration and Margaret Spellings was the uh, uh, Minister of Education or something and she was going after certain shows that they felt that were teaching uh, the children of America um, non-moral things like non-moralistic things and so our that episode I remember that episode clearly. Like I remember, I remember loving that episode. The episode was called "Sugar Time." Yeah, and uh, I don't know if it ever aired, but it was. A I've seen it. You've seen it. Good. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. And it's a great little cute episode about Mother's Day. And it's and, really cute. Yeah. Yeah, and this 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 girl has two mothers because you know two two mothers from two different marriages kind of um, met and and started to live together and they raised their children together. And it was, it was an, I remember thinking at the time, well, this is different. This is awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, we're actually doing and saying this. 
and then and then all the controversy happened about it uh which was mind-blowing to me and then yeah 10 10 or 12 years later pbs is right back on the train going look we're going to do this episode about one of the main characters getting married to his partner and i was like oh man good for you like as opposed to taking your tail between your legs and running away you're actually just you're 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 meeting the challenge again and then this time it was accepted with all these accolades and all Absolutely. this arms, it was, which was great. It was something amazing to see because I'm 27, turning 28 in December, so I've known Arthur my whole life. Whoa. I mean, my first ever cassette tape was the Arthur soundtrack. Oh, great. To the point where I wore that thing out. Yeah, and was that the one with the songs on it? They had yes. all the, Yeah, yeah, it's great. I have that too. And one of the and one of the things I wanted to tell you is that postcards from Buster was the thing that made me want to pick up a video camera. Wow. And I saw Buster have a camera and edit things and do all this stuff and I was like, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I've been doing this podcast for over 12 years. Yeah. So it's so cool how the work that you watch as a child and the work that you do as an actor, it impacts people in ways that you wouldn't think it would otherwise. So it's a real gift and you were a part of it. Thank you. I've I've learned that over the years how important Arthur is to people, and it's it's very it's very it's heartwarming, and I feel very proud to be attached to it in such a strong way, you know, because I realize people uh, your age, Bob, and and older people who have kids now, they they keep on talking about Arthur as it uh, being a really groundbreaking thing in their lives, you know, and it's it's really special for me as well. And now that I get to talk to you. And all of you, you, you guys are my friends. <laughs> like yeah, we, like <laughs> because you don't see me as a fan. We're just talking to people talking. Yeah. And that's what it should be. Yeah, exactly. Something that we both enjoy, you know? So, I'm going to ask you more. But I'm curious, was there ever a moment where you were done with Buster? Like, you were like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, well, it's funny you mentioned postcards because that, that came about in a strange way. I remember it was 1997 and I had decided, I mean, Arthur was in full swing. Like the, the, the show itself was, you know, season four or five and it was winning all these awards and stuff. And, and, Crazy enough, like being 27, as you know, you know, you you have all these crazy ideas. And so as a 27-year-old actor, I decided that I was going to travel to Australia for a year. And I was just going to hitchhike. I was going to give up acting for a year, and I was just going to go to Australia. And I got it in my head and something I, I really wanted to do. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I got I guess I got to deal with this Arthur job, you know, that's <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. And so I remember talking to the producers and I was like, so listen, this is my decision. I've decided that I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to travel around Australia. And I, I remember saying this to Carol Greenwald. I love her. I love yeah, her. 
she's an incredible lady. And, uh, and I said, listen, Carol, you know, I, if it means that I, I lose the show and I can't do the voice of Buster anymore, I'm willing to do it. Like, this is something I really need to do for me, my personal development. And, um, and they were like, oh, okay, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I was like, okay. And I didn't know, you know, I, I, I was willing to lose the job. And this was after maybe four or five seasons. And uh, they came back with this idea and they said, look, we don't want to lose you. Uh, we want to keep you around. So what we're going to do is we're going to write Buster out of the series with his own little storyline that he goes to travel with his dad and um, for a year and writes postcards back home to his friends in Elwood City. So I was like, well, that's great. And so there was like four or five, that season that I was in Australia, there were only, I was only in four or five episodes and those episodes were, were recorded in Australia when I was there. And uh, I'd find a studio and I'd record the episodes and I'd send them. And there was like maybe four episodes that Buster had little parts in where he's sending video postcards back to his friends in Elwood City. And then when I got back home, I still had a job, which was great which is a great testament to PBS in general, just for keeping me around, because it would have been it would have been really easy to replace me, but they decided not to. And then when I got home, uh, they decided to keep that storyline of Buster traveling with his father and using it as a, a spin-off. Yeah, know, well, they, they took a few years to really flesh it out. Yeah. And, they, and they, that Arthur episode served as a backdoor pilot to the series, which I thought exactly. was brilliant. It was great, and I was like, wow, it's so funny. You know, you make a decision in life to thinking that you're you're saying goodbye to something, but you're actually opening the door for something completely new. So I, I was always I was always very uh, impressed by that. The PBS didn't let me go and said, no, we want to keep the family together. We want to keep everything whole. And so you do your thing, your personal development. And when you get back, we'll you know, we'll talk about how to re reintegrate you into the show. And it ended up turning into a spin-off for Buster. And so I was, <laughs> it was great. It was absolutely great. So I never, I never actually said, I, I want to say goodbye to Buster because he was always very special to me. And so every time Arthur came back for a new season, I was always 100% on board. But that, that was the only instance, I think, in the 25 years that I actually thought I'm willing to give it up because I needed for my own mental health to go traveling and do some backpacking around the world. I mean, what a way to come back. I mean, you have our Garfunkel following you around for <laughs> yeah. an entire episode there. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I love that. And I think that shows you how much the producers, Carol, Greg, and Mark, and all the, everyone, yeah. cares about their actors and cares about their personnel because it's not just a show to them. If they're not satisfied with something, they'll do whatever they can to make them satisfied and make them feel comfortable and make them feel reassured. And that's how I feel even when I talk to you guys. It is so comforting to know that. Yeah, and it's it doesn't happen all the time. You know, it's a very special it's a very special thing when you 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 find a job that um, also allows you to extend. Uh, members of your family like I you know I, I consider Carol and Greg and and uh, I guess even Mark to a certain point like members of the family because we've known each other for so long and we've seen each other grow and change and 
but we're still working on something that we've all kind of created together. You know, it's not one person's thing. It's, it's the whole team that make it special. And I've always, I've always sort of realized that, that when I started talking to the Arthur folks, it's like, I'm not doing an interview. They care about me and what I care about. And it's always been that way. And I, I just have such a close connection to this show because even though it was for young kids, not for the preschooling, but younger, mm-hmm. there are life lessons that could go to adulthood or teenagers mm-hmm. or whatever. It, yeah. <clears throat> it follows you through your life and it's really cool. So one of the other things that I want to kind of just know because we're having this conversation is one of my favorite Buster moments is in the Christmas special Mm -hmm. because he realizes that he doesn't celebrate any of the other holidays so he creates his own holiday and he bonds with his mother that way and it is such kind of a heartfelt thing for a kid's show to even tackle. So when you would get these scripts, you said you were moved and you were, you know, you were touched, but was there ever a moment where you were like, wow, like this is being mentioned or that or? Yeah, I I thought a lot of the scripts in the pad were very uh, ambitious. You know, they were kind of tapping into what was happening in, in, in the world at that time. And yeah, to have a Christmas episode that deals with all the different um, uh, nationalities to celebrate Christmas and Kwanzaa and and all these, I was like, wow, it's so ambitious, you know. But it wasn't like again, wasn't uh, wasn't done in a condescending way or a saccharine way. It was done in a very intelligent way to kind of uh, just just to, to put it out there and say this is this is not everyone believes in the same thing. You know, and it's okay. You can have your neighbor who who doesn't celebrate Christmas, or an, another neighbor who uh, celebrates too much, or in a different way. It's 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 yeah. And there's been a lot of episodes like that that were uh, like super ambitious, but never but never overly ambitious, and 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 never underdone. It was always seemed to me the right tone and the right way to to speak to kids and to speak to families because it's not only it's not only the kids who enjoyed the episodes you know it was it was the 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 adults watching it with their kids who thought that wow this is good tv like i can actually let my kid watch this because it's it's really imparting some some good lessons you know so it was also approved not only approved by the kids because it was it was good entertainment but it was also approved by the parents too because it was smart and done in a in a very intelligent way that episode meant a lot to me because i believe it was the first full-length episode i believe it was an hour longer close to an hour or something like that yeah for sure yeah i remember and that. you're doing a christmas festival like what an institution that you're be, yeah. you're able to do this christmas special it was no small thing yeah yeah it's true you have to be up there with the uh with the the peanuts and you know the grinch <laughs> every exactly, year exactly exactly yeah I do it every year. <laughs> so here's sort of a complete 
sort of a 180. <laughs> is there an episode of anything you've done that you just are not pleased with your performance? No. Uh, yeah, and there's there's plenty. I mean, I I'm the kind of I, I'm the kind of um, voice actor where, <clears throat> like, I I tell all the directors I work with um, that you know if I if I feel like I need to go back and do something for me. I, I need to go back and do it and fix it because there's certain things that the directors will let go, especially when you're doing some dubbing of, of uh, cartoons from different countries. And so if I'm not happy with either a loop or something I've done, I'll always ask, I always make sure that the, the director knows that I, I, I want to go back and do it, even if they've said it's okay, like, let's move on, it's fine. If I can't live with it's it, it's not fine to you. No. Yeah, exactly. And I, and if I can't live with it, then I'm going to go home and I'm going to beat myself up about it. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I've been in that position before where I kind of regret not doing something or not saying something. And so now I make sure to always say something, but yeah, there's been stuff in the past where, you know, there's been, there's been certain cartoons that I've even forgotten the names of, and I've, I've done whole seasons of them, like dubbing some, uh, you know, cartoon from Japan or something that the writing is really bad and the animation is bad and it just doesn't go anywhere. And you're like, okay, well, this is more a paycheck than uh, a passion. Um, and, you know, just recently I was in studio recording this, this, this dubbing series, this cartoon series, and I got cast as this character in, 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 the, in the cartoon that I didn't like. I didn't like this kid. And, uh, and I kind of didn't like what I was doing. I felt like I was pushing it a little bit. And, and so I left kind of going, ah, that wasn't, that wasn't the best booking that I've ever had. So, you know, but I, I moved on, I did an okay job. And then I moved on and it, it wasn't, it wasn't for very long. So it's not like I did it for hours and hours. It was only an hour booking. So I was able to kind of like let it go. But yeah, there are certain things that I, I just, uh, I mean, I, I guess it's like that in every, Every job, you know, like you absolutely, have... not yeah, every yeah. interview for me is going to be great. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like you know, there's just sometimes it's an energy thing, or sometimes it's just there's nothing you can do. It's just it is what it is, you know. But you do it. You do it. But you do it. And you move on to the next one, and that's it. I mean, one of the worst cartoons I've ever worked. I can't remember the name of it, but one of the worst cartoons I've worked on, like animation wise and writing wise. I, I going into work was just kind of like, oh God, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. Yeah. But I met my, I met my future wife dubbing that because she came in to record one of the characters. And uh, so that was a good thing that came out of, you know, a bad situation. And so there's little things like that too. You know, you got to take away as much, as much good as you possibly can. And I think that's a lesson for everyone because not everything is going to be your favorite thing. That's it. I tell that to my teenage boys a lot. Like, you know, they're just right at the cusp of getting jobs and just, and deciding what they want to do with the rest of their lives. And I, I keep on saying that. I'm like, don't, don't expect greatness out of the gate. You know, no. like you're, you're going to spend a lot of years doing some really, really crappy jobs, meeting some crappy people and being treated like not very well. And so, you know, just don't expect you know, the million dollar paycheck, uh, as soon as you graduate, it's gonna, it's gonna be some slogging, you know, and but that's, 
that's what kind of makes us who we are. Like you, you have to come from something. You can't just have perfection as soon as you snap your fingers. Like yeah, because- no, it's a gradual thing. And I would say in the last, I say that I've been doing this for twelve years, but in the last three or four years, I've really found my sweet spot as far as how I present myself to the guest, yeah. how I, you know, book the interview, coordinate it. It's real. It's not contrived. I'm not billboarding myself. It's just real. Yeah, for sure. And it's an art, you know, and you just get better at it the more you do it. Yeah. I'm so happy that, you know, I tell people this all the time, but I never used to talk about my disability on the podcast, and I'm so glad that I did because yeah. it opened up so many doors. Of course, of course, and you have to be honest, right? You can't can't not be honest, otherwise you're not being honest, and you <laughs> and you know it, and they know it, and so it's always it's always better to be honest. So earlier we talked a little bit about the Arthur albums. Yeah, what was it like recording those? Because some of them were songs from the show but you had a couple songs of your own that were yeah those were so fun those were the like that was for me that was the 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 heyday that was the the golden age of arthur for me because absolutely for me too yeah totally there was so much output you know because i think the producers were like okay this is really catching on let's 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 try to capitalize on this and so you know the um and they didn't overdo it, you know, but they, they wanted to put together, they wanted to put together albums and, and spinoffs and stuff. And it was, it was great. Like, I remember it was, ah, oh, it was amazing. Like I was, we, we'd have like, I'd have full Arthur days, you know, where I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go to studio and we record all as a group, all together. We record two Arthur episodes and then go to the studio and have lunch and then go to the studio across the hallway. And I would record two postcard from Buster episodes. And then after that was done, we'd spend two hours recording songs. And I was like, oh man, it was so, it was so vibrant. It was just so full of life, you know, and being in studio and the musical director at that time, his name is Jeff Zahn. Jeff Zahn, yeah. Yeah, he's actually, he's from New York. Yeah. And yeah, he's, I think he, he, him and, uh fabby rich fabby maybe i think his name is yeah ray Um, yeah ray fabby that's it um they wrote most of the music for the arthur stuff and going into studio and recording was so fun like uh, i remember jeff zahn we were we've become good friends over the years and he kind of knew exactly what you could do what your limitations were and he'd let you improvise so a lot of a lot of those songs like all the ad-libs and stuff were all were all just freedoms that i was and then for postcards from Buster, you had yeah. Claudio. Yes, exactly. Regazzi, he was he was amazing too. He's like, wonderful. He's so nice. Yeah, I've and spoken I to him. Pretty much a musical genius, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and so that, it was just so fun, you know, because we'd always we'd always do the work part, but then there was the fun part of like maybe uh recording a song that would never you know no one ever heard but recording a take just for us just for laughs you know and it was always full of spirit and full of full of joy it was always with other people who were just we just i remember laughing a lot we just laughed 
and those songs i still listen to those albums like i had i had one of the arthur cds in my car because my kids liked listening to it when they were babies in the back of the car and like the ufo song and my brain uh i, I love that stuff it's just it's so fun to listen to one of my favorite buster moments on any recording is the genius rhyming of the giving tree and jumanji for my <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, 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 the wordplay it's so good yeah i know yeah really good stuff oh man so is there any arthur project that you wish people saw more like that you wish people talked about it that you like a lot um i don't know i i i you know just for my own personal thing i'd love to see like a like a an arthur a full a full length arthur movie that would be nice um that's been in the pipeline for years mark get on it yeah come on guys um well, that'd be cool but um i don't know they i saw this thing on the internet a while back where they uh they were they were casting shows like riverdale but as arthur characters have you seen yes, this? yes so, yes so i mean that's kind of, that's kind of interesting doing like a uh, a live action teenage drama but with like arthur and francine and muffy and buster i mean i need that in my life honestly yeah, it's super funny. I want to talk to you about Postcards and Buster really fast because it was influential to me, like, as far as being creative. What was the process of that? Because that was dealing with real life footage. What was the yeah. record? What was that like? What was the process of that? Yeah, that was that was more that was more um, detailed um, because I would I would I would be given a script. And they had they had done all the uh, recording, the live action recording uh, already. So I'd be given a script and uh, a VHS of all the of all the live action segments. And obviously, the animation segments hadn't been drawn yet. So what I would do is for my research is I would read the script and I would watch the uh, live action stuff. And I would read along because it was mostly timing, right? Because it was already pre-recorded, I had to time those scenes with the picture. And so they were talking a, to them essentially. Yeah, but what they did was, I, I believe, what they did is they had, um, they called it the Buster Cam. And they had uh, a robot uh, with a camera on it. And it was at the, the height of the, of the height that Buster would be. And the kids would talk to that. And I believe, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you can um, validate this if you want with someone else. But I believe the camera had bunny ears. Yeah. Stuff. You know, I spoke with one of the kids who filmed. Oh, awesome. And he, he's one of the New York City episodes. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, what I watched was uh, footage of these kids being interviewed by this this robot or whatever, this Buster Cam with ears that the kids would direct all their stuff to. 
and there was a guide track. So there was there was a person asking the kids the questions that I eventually asked in the show, but it was a different person. Like it was, I guess, the camera operator was asking the questions. And so when it came to me, I would read the script and I would fill, I would I would basically record over this person's questions with with the Buster voice. And then we'd go into studio and we, we it would all be timed. So I would watch the scene again in live action and make sure that my questions were timed in uh, response to what was already pre-recorded from the kids to fit it in there, to fit it in those slots. And they would mix all that together. And then I record the animation segments separate and then they would put it all together. And sometimes the child would respond back to Buster. Yeah, yeah. I think they were told that they're responding to Buster, but they they never heard the the real kids never heard my voice. Yeah, it was always the person the guide track who was asking the questions and stuff. So I don't think they even heard Buster talking to them until until the show had aired on TV. One of the episodes that really used this to its advantage was there was Arthur and Buster were fighting over a comic book. And then Buster meets these two best friends who uh, do clogging. They do clogging dancing. And they kind of help Buster and Arthur become friends again. And it's such a clever way of using that medium. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a little hard to, when they pitched it, the idea to me, I was like, I, don't, I didn't quite understand what they were trying to go for until I read the first script and I was like, oh, I get it. So like 75% of it is live action with an interactive Buster thing. And then they would do animation. I thought it was, it was, there was nothing like it really on TV like that. It was, it was pretty groundbreaking. I mean, I remember thinking this is different. I've never, I've never seen anything like this really. It was a very special thing to me because it had a heavy emphasis on multimedia and it made me want to edit more, and it yeah. made me want to create more, and it made me want to do more in this space. So, as a 10-year-old kid, I latched onto it alongside Arthur, so it's very special to me. Yeah, and the kids they found were amazing. Like, I remember, like, this Israeli girl who lives in New York who does oh, yeah, riding or something. I was like, holy crap! Like these, this is amazing. These kids are incredible. <laughs> yeah, we uh, people don't talk about it, and they need to more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know maybe with because everything is about nostalgia, right? Like the the popularity of Arthur now at the at the end of its life is so great because it's it's all this retro stuff is very very much in and nostalgia so I, I think postcards hasn't postcards from buster hasn't really had its had its day yet and you know we never saw the ending because those last episodes like the one in hawaii and the one in egypt yeah. uh, they never saw the light of day that's true that's true so one can we get to see those yeah for sure yeah, and then yeah, it's true. And then they went out of the states, and they and they started doing some international episodes. I I I remember recording it, going, "Oh my god, this can last forever! Like you can go anywhere. There's always interesting kids around the world." And you would do it. I know you'd do it. I would totally do it. You know, I I would have liked to also get in on the ground floor and 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 be part of the uh, the actual um, uh, 
uh, taping process too, you know, like show up. Uh, I'd love to travel. So I, I'd love to travel with the camera and actually do the voice of Buster behind the camera for these kids, you know, that would be great. So this next question, just as we're about to wrap up here, I have a few questions for you just yeah. before we end. What does Arthur mean to you? And on the flip side, what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? Hmm. Um, well, for me, they're kind of, it's kind of synonymous. You know, I was, I was uh, always impressed with how brave and courageous some of the Arthur episodes were. Um, because there's really nothing like that for kids on TV. I, I was, Arthur to me, Arthur to me, uh, it's, it's less of a job and more of a lifestyle, you know, like everyone I, everyone I've talked to over the years has, has touted Arthur as being a life changing thing as a kid, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I remember having my own shows as a kid when I was when I was growing up and if I had met those people doing the voices or the, the people acting in those shows, it would have, it would have blown my mind. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think Arthur to me is always, I know, especially now, you know, it's super important about diversity and, and voices being heard and people being seen is like, it's all over the news and all over social media. People are, are finally saying, Hey, like I, I need to be seen. I need to be heard, and uh, I'm, I, I hope that Arthur maybe had a, a small hand in in helping kids grapple with um, being seen and being heard. You know, because it's it's really easy, and you could probably vouch for this, but it's it's really easy not to speak up, and it's really yeah. easy to stay silent and say, you know, I don't I don't want to speak up on that issue because I, you know, maybe my opinions are too strong or I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Or I don't want to upset anyone uh, by saying what I have to say. But uh, I find there's a new generation of, of kids now who really do have a lot to say, and they and they don't and they don't um, choose to be silent, which I think is great. You know, like the the confidence of even just my teenage boys is incredible. I'm like I I, I say that to them every day. I'm just like guys, like you're you're super confident, and it's it's so refreshing. Yeah. Everyone, like not not to be cocky, but the difference between confidence and cockiness, and my kids have this confidence, and I think it comes from just being able, like having a, an arena or a forum that you know that you can speak into. You know, you can actually say, "This is the way I feel about something," or "This made me feel bad," or "This wasn't right," or "This is right." And I, I, as a kid, I didn't really have that freedom. So I think Arthur, to me, is just has has. The, the reason why it's important to me is because I feel like it's given a voice um, to a generation of kids who maybe didn't have a voice before, you know, and it allowed them to talk about the differences or how they were uh, between people or how they were feeling about something and even let adults know how they feel, you know. And when, when I grew up in the, in the 70s and 80s, there was a huge divide between being a kid and being an adult. Like you hardly talk to the adults yeah they were they were sort of above yeah they were in a category all by themselves yeah you You didn't talk about your feelings you didn't say hey i I feel bad today about this or you know you didn't have those kind of conversations and so arthur was one of the shows i think that i think taught kids that you can you can talk to your parents you can talk to you know adults about stuff and 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 just talking is is the first 
sign of um, fixing something, you know, because you have to you have to be able to express yourself. And to express yourself, you have to believe in yourself. And that's one of the mottos of Arthur in general is believe in yourself. Like you got to believe in yourself. Yeah. If you don't yeah. believe in yourself, then you you're, you feel like your your opinions don't matter. And so um, I'm super proud of that, that Arthur has maybe taught a generation of kids to to believe in their opinions and believe in what they have to say. Multiple generations now. It's so crazy just to think how... The show has given a voice to so many people, including me. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's amazing, you know. And that wasn't apparent at the beginning. Like it wasn't until, you know, pretty pretty long into our run, you know, like maybe year twelve or thirteen, that we realized, okay, this is a special show because of this, because it's 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 teaching kids how to believe in themselves, and. I remember, I remember having this thing. I was recording Arthur episodes, but I was all, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of other cartoons and stuff as well. So I used to watch cartoons with my kids when they were kids, and you know, we'd occasionally watch Arthur. They weren't the biggest fans of Arthur, but they did, they did watch it. But I, I remember commenting once to someone when I was watching the cartoons with my kids that they were watching at that time, like ten years ago, and I was like, oh my god, everyone's so mean to each other. <laughs> the way. The way that people were talking to each other was like, oh my God, like why, why is that person being so mean to another person? And, uh, and Arthur never did that. The characters were never, if they were mean, it, 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 there was a lesson in it, but they weren't just mean for the sake of being mean, you know? So I, I kind of appreciate that about the show too. It was like, it really was all, it always, it stayed in the realm of being kind to each other and being respectful. It never, it never went in that whole mean area that other cartoons went in. Like, and it was never loud, and it was never obnoxious. It was just kind of like, this is, this is, this is kind of like a slice of real life, but you can learn from it. I was just gonna say slice of life. That encapsulates it so well. Yeah. And when I think of Arthur, I just think of, you know, I just felt like one of the gang i felt like one of the characters in elwood city i mean one of the episodes that really resonated with me and this is sort of a real offbeat answer but it'll shock you i'm since i was three or four years old i was a huge arthur fan but i was also a big backstreet boys fan Oh, yeah. so, so when that crossover happens, <laughs> <laughs> my mind, I'm like, they're talking to me. I know. Well, I got to record with one of my childhood heroes, Mr. Rogers. Oh my goodness, that was incredible. And that, was, that was early into your run too. It was early, yes. I, I remember. I did, I wasn't even told. Uh, that Mr. Rogers, like I, I, I knew it was a Mr. Rogers episode because I had read it before going into the studio, but I had no idea that Fred Rogers was coming to Montreal to record at the same time as me and Michael Yarmish. I was like, the elevator opened in the studio and there was Mr. Rogers putting on his cardigan and his slippers. And I was like, like he's actually here. I thought he was going to be in another studio recording his lines. And You're I like they, remote. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he was right there. And I was like, holy crap. And I remember it was so that day i think i'd gone out the night before with some friends and i i i i didn't have that much sleep 
and I I was living by myself at the time and I, I don't think I had uh like my best clothes on because I my laundry hadn't been done and I remember showing up being so I shaved my I had my head shaved at one, at one point because I was doing a play at the same time and I showed up I, I must have looked like a, a homeless kid like I, I wasn't I wasn't looking very good and I showed up and Mr. Rogers is there and I was like oh my god you're my childhood hero and here I am recording and he was so sweet he was like so nice took a picture with him and I was just like holy god so they doing recording an episode that became or recording a character that became other people's you know uh lifetime hero like I was actually recording Arthur with my childhood hero which is so funny and I didn't want to say this to you because it sounds really corny but we're here Buster is one of my favorite cartoon characters <laughs> period I appreciate that Bob thank you he's one of mine he's just so real and there's so much weight to him yeah there's so much going on with him and he's not perfect you know I, I I've always tried to decipher why Buster's super popular and I was like I think it's because he's not perfect you know he's got his little idiosyncrasies and everybody and, does yeah exactly and he's just I think he reminds kids that oh yeah they, they can really relate to him because he's he's just real you know like he doesn't eat well and he's got no, all these he crazy, he's got all these crazy ideas and he's very hyper and you know what I mean? Like he's he, he's got all these facets to him that are really interesting, and I was just like his his view on certain things is just so unique, and I, I find it really really interesting to play him. I love him, and I love you for watching him. I think I've loved this conversation. Again, this is not an interview. This is just us talking, and I. I can honestly say that I think now that we're connected, I know that we'll talk more and I can get in touch with you now. So it's not going to be an issue. Excellent. I, I appreciate, I appreciate all the, um, all the attention and all the, uh, all the kindness and, and beauty that you've just given me in this past hour. I, I, I thank you so much. The DJ Bob show, pop culture, past and present.